Hey, Travis Rogers here. When you're not listening to me on the Lakers pre- and post-game shows, tune in to The Experience with Laferne Cusack, where she goes beyond the play and focuses on athletes, fans, and the biggest events that inspire and shape our community. Listen to The Experience with Laferne Cusack, Sundays, 5 to 6 a.m. ESPN LA 710. Welcome to The Experience here on ESPN LA 710. I'm LaFern Cusack. Thank you so much for joining me. For more information, check me out on Twitter at LaFern Cusack or uh, go to ESPNLA.com and the radio page to download podcasts and more. Today we're talking the Dylan Henry Foundation. And for more information, you can go to Dylan's List. Dot org And today I have Harriet Zaretsky, president of the Dylan Henry Foundation, and Steve Henry, vice president, and on the board, Irv Kintaudi. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. I was so excited to hear about your story, how you started the organization, and all the wonderful things that you're doing to save lives all around the world. Harriet, tell us why you started the Dylan Henry Foundation. Thank you. On July 6th, 2007, um, my son was in a car accident. It was lights out. I felt like he'd been kidnapped because I talked to him a few hours before and it was gone. He didn't even get to go to the hospital. And the devastation that we felt was beyond imagination. Dylan was a superstar. For a 17-year-old boy, he was something quite unusual. He had compassion, understanding. He was the kind of kid who could read people so well, and everybody loved him. I don't think he had an enemy in the world, and he got it. He could see the news and interpret things in a very unique way, but from the time he was a little baby, he just got it. And losing him was tragic. We have another child, um, my daughter Taylor, who's now 26. Dylan at the time was not even 18. It was like a call to action. It was like, what are we going to do to survive? And within a few months, we had created the Dylan Henry Foundation. We had our website up and running. We had a huge memorial at the beach. And, you know, it's 11 years now. And a lot of energy, legacy, and love has been put into the foundation in his memory. And we've been able to help a lot of people, not only locally, but all over the world. Yes, Steve, tell me um, more about Dylan. Like, he he loved surfing. He uh, yes, surfing became one of his uh, probably probably his main passion. Uh, he loved soccer in uh, uh, in a variety of sports, but surfing really just kind of became that was the sport that he he gravitated to, and it was fun to watch him because uh, he, he you know as a you know high school freshman, sophomore, even his junior year, uh, before he was driving, he'd, he'd come over and uh, sometimes ask with, there would be about 40 minutes of, of daylight, sunlight left, and he'd still want to go down to Venice Beach, it was about 15 or 20 minutes away. So I'm thinking, we're going to go get ready for surfing, and you want to get 20 minutes of surfing in in Venice, and we'd do that, and he'd come, he loved it. Yeah. It was his passion. Yeah. And so, so you talk about he has, he had this instinct about people. What do you guys contribute that to? Like, you know, some people go through life and they don't 
learned that, you know, in their later years, you know, I'm much older. I, I see a lot of things that are happening and I'm continuing to learn to learn that type of instinct at such a young age. What what do you think? Harry? I think the word is instinct. I think he was born with it. I don't think that's necessarily something you can teach, you know, the gift to be able to look at someone and know what they need. It was just um, it was magical. But I kind of saw it in him when he was three. <laughs> it was like, really, you get that. You know? <laughs> and um, he, he just was a good kid. I mean, his nature was to be helpful. Um, when he was a freshman at Pali, they have a student of the year. Usually it's the upperclassmen. And his science teacher recommended him for student of the year in his freshman year because what, wherever he went, he'd go into the class, and after he'd finish his work, he'd just naturally go over to other people and help them and gift them. Um, one of the stories that I heard after he died was a neighbor had uh, some relative visiting from some far-off place, and she saw his picture in the obituary in the local paper, and she said, oh, my God. She said, that's the young man I was at the gas station and they weren't helping me and I was so exasperated and he came over to me and said can I help you and she said you know a teenage boy doing this and he took like a half hour to help her with the car and and she said I, I can't believe that's him and I thought he never even came home and said oh mom here's what I did today <laughs> he didn't need the glory he just kind of did it naturally <laughs> and that was his gift and I feel he really would have contributed to this world. It's it's a tough place now, but he just um, had this natural leadership, and people followed him, and it, it was a big loss not only for his family, but I think for everybody else. Yeah, um, it's a silly thing, but just to sort of describe the scope of his reach at his funeral, and it was right after July Fourth weekend, so a lot of people were traveling. He um, had a thousand people. Wow. At his funeral. So it was pretty amazing how big his reach was. Mm-hmm. So. And as his parents, I mean, I, I have a six-year-old. I, I, I mean, I, I can't even imagine. How did you work together to get through this, Steve? Well, we didn't really know what to do. I mean, we spent a lot of hours uh, talking about you know, only that because you feel so devastated and, and you don't know what to do. Uh, and it, it's there's very few things you ever run up against in your life that you feel like um, that it's not going to end or it's not going to change or you feel helpless and you can't fix it. And now all of a sudden you're faced with something that you know you can't fix. It's just, you know, it's it's that's the way it is. And uh the recognition of that is 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 the most difficult part. So we just started brainstorming and and thinking about well, you know, it, it and it really came from Dylan in that that he uh, how can we continue doing what he did? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was just to reach out and 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 share with other people. And that was the one thing about Dylan that was so unusual. Uh, you know, as as I look back now over the years, it seems like for young kids, sharing is one of the most difficult things for them to learn. Just very difficult. And he 
uh, it was it was it was something he liked. He demonstrated that from a very young age. And as soon as he got out of preschool and he started into grade school, uh, he wanted to actually go back and be one of the big brother types. Oh, uh, yeah. You know, I, I don't. Uh, uh, he wanted to go back and help at the schools and and deal with the other kids, and they all loved him. Dylan's here; they would hug him. So yeah, he just had that uh, uh, characteristic and that nature. He was he was lucky in that sense, but he also worked at it. He knew that it, he knew the importance of it. Um, uh, but we found kind of his own little website that he started. Uh, uh, you know, after the accident, and we never even knew it. And it was uh, a thing that essentially he was trying to reach out and talk to other people. And so much of it was, you know, whether it was his uh, guy friends or girlfriends, uh, he would talk to them about, you know, I understand how hard it is and all these teenage emotions. So he was dealing that with that right in the middle of uh, all through high school. And uh, so that was... It was his nature, mm-hmm. uh, but he he worked at it. Mm-hmm. Uh, he 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 didn't just take it for granted. Uh, uh, it was very important to him. So that's what we learned mm-hmm. from him. That's so true. It's like every day we. I think I feel in my in my humble opinion. I feel that we we have to continue continuously work at being better. Work at sharing work at giving giving back and giving of who we are so we can make a change in this place. I know there's so much stuff on social media that, you know, is is negative, but we can look at that as a contrast. Okay, I see this and I may be limited in my life uh, online, but how am I as Lafern Cusack going to get out and share my life? And expand who I am. He got it. Dylan had it, right? He did. You know, I I can think of so many simple things. You know, Um, for example, he understood the power of a smile and he had a beautiful smile. He understood, you know, even in middle school when there was one kid sitting alone at lunch, he was fine getting up and going over and sitting with that kid. Since he's passed, I've heard so many stories like that. In high school, the girl who was kicked out of the limousine, he made sure that she was in the car with them, you know, and wasn't left alone. So many stories, you know, I heard later also some girl, I mean, you know, they're teenagers and this girl was in trouble with drugs and, you know, he helped her out of the, out of the street. I mean, the stories are so powerful, but they're simple. They're, they're just being aware when that opportunity arises to help someone to do it. And it's not so much the big things. We're doing some big things with the foundation, but every day he just, he just did it. He just lived that creed. And it was very impressive to watch as a parent. Mm-hmm. He just he just had a gift. He really did. And Irvine, I know you've been quiet over there. So tell me your connection with Dylan and the foundation. So my connection with Dylan, it actually started at the BSA, the Black Student Association. When I like, I met him in there because uh, how I feel about Dylan, he he really looks like every race to me. Like I, I didn't know if he was Hispanic. Right. You know, I thought American. so too. Like I, I was know, looking I, at like, his he pictures. Looks like so many different <laughs> yeah. races. So like what I would find out is he'd be in the BSA and the Black Student Association. I met him. And I'm like, hey, what's going on, man? Nice to meet you. And I, I played on the basketball team. But then I had friends in different, you know, from different races. So I would be in other BSA, you know, other students 
associations. And I would see him in there also. I'm like, hey, man, <laughs> I'm trying to figure you out. Like, you know, and that's where we kind of bonded. And then I would obviously see him at some of the parties because I, I was a basketball player. So at Palisades, the students, you know, the exclusive students, and he was one of the very exclusive ones. I would see him there at parties. I'm like, oh, you, you, I'll see you at the student association. So we would connect there. And then, you know, one thing to kind of speak on, one of his quotes is, um, you know, because I was I was bust in from the you know mid city to the Palisades, and you know there there are a lot of things now that you can kind of see that that brings a country into turbulence. One of his quotes was that I'm from No Hood, but the the one on my head. And then years later, we have the situation with Trayvon Martin in the hood on his head. So he was way beyond. He was before wow. his time, way before his time. And you think about things that happened like that, like what would he be doing now? Wow, you know if he was here, you know what I'm saying? So his like his he still lives on in that way and you know the way that i got connected through the foundation was uh through my high school journalism teacher uh dennis danzinger he connected me with Stephen harriet and the scholarship foundation i thought i was gonna be playing basketball and you know i was gonna get a scholarship from there and he's like look man you're gonna play ball you're good but i think you're better at writing mm. and you know <laughs> long behold you know i majored in journalism and you know communication so he was right in that aspect so i connected with them and I was lost. I was really lost my freshman year. I wasn't really trying to reach out to anybody. I was just trying to figure out where I was going to school. I think I went to like three different schools in one semester and I was telling Stephen Harriet about it. Like, I'm, I'm lost. I don't know what to do. And they're like, you know, just whatever you want to do, we will support you no matter wow. what. And I, I got that feeling from the first day that I met them at the awards night my senior year. I mean, it was, it, I didn't, I wasn't expecting my relationship with the foundation to last this long, but I was like, you know, these are great people. This is for a great cause. And I knew Dylan. So at, at the very least I can stay involved and communicate. And from freshman year, I was like, you know what, I'm going to go to this school. I'm going to transfer here. And then I've been sponsored the entire time when I was at Cal State LA, renewed scholarships and, you know, obviously working on the committee, selecting students, selecting the next, you know, round of seniors who are going to be brought onto the foundation, reading their stories. And everybody has a story. It's, mm -hmm. it's quite remarkable. And, and you have a lot of brilliant, you know, children that we bring on and then being on the board of directors, you know, that's where it became international and worldwide. And I was like, okay, this reach is really serious. And I mm -hmm. saw it for myself in the Congo, mm -hmm. seeing his picture, in, you know, in, in different health centers, and, you know, just visiting these different, you know, villages, Mimosha village. And it, it, it's, yeah. it's, it's amazing just to see how far things can go. And this is a foundation I've been affiliated with since 2008. And I got the opportunity to go to Africa, go to the Congo where my family's from. You know, I told my mom I was going to Amsterdam. I didn't tell her I was going to Africa. She, she wouldn't allow it. She wouldn't have it. So, you know, now that I ended, I don't think I told you that story either. But after getting back, it was like the foundation facilitated a homecoming for me. That mm -hmm. I, you know, my first time in the Congo. And now I see the work that needs to be done and the work can be facilitated through the foundation. So... Well, that is my connection. Well, let's talk about the foundation itself, your mission and your objectives for the Dylan Henry Foundation. Okay, our mission is basically to engage individuals to try to help the world and certainly those who have been fortunate enough to pay it forward. So we started the foundation, of course, for our son. And we chose his passions to go forward with. So Surf Rider is an organization that we partnered with because of his passion for surfing, his love of the ocean. When Dylan was at Pally High, he started the Ocean Awareness Club. And I think they had more people show up for that club than ever in the history of Pally. <laughs> it was just that kind of draw. 
So we knew that was going to be. He felt at peace in the ocean, and that was his place to go, like Steve was saying before. Also, we didn't mention writing. Dylan was an incredible writer. I, I don't know if I can mention the website. Yes. Okay, so the website is Dylan's List, D-I-L-L-O-N-S, L-I-S-T dot org. And his writings, I wish I had more of them, but um, many of them are on the website. And as Irvin said, this kid could write. And the vision and the depth of what he said and did, he has a piece on existence that just will blow you away. But anyway, so we knew we were going to work with uh, the environment, and that's very important nowadays. And we have a great relationship with Surfrider. Then he had this passion for Africa. I can't explain why. Dylan was English, Irish, and Portuguese. Mm. But somehow he was this universal citizen. Nobody knew if he was Israeli mm-hmm. or black or, you know, Hispanic. And he loved it. He really embraced his brown skin, as he called it. And uh, I love that about him. You know, he, he just knew how to take it on. Um And so we were doing work in Africa with Jewish World Watches, which is an organization to end genocide. And um, then the other angle was, as Irv mentioned, the Pali High Scholarships. And I'm proud to say we've given out over 100 scholarships at Pali High to seniors who are going to college. And one of the things we pride ourselves on This is a small family foundation, so we also have to go out and raise money sometimes. It's not just coming in from the family. And um, we pride ourselves on staying connected. It's more than writing the check. Mm -hmm. You know, here's Irv 11 years later sitting at the table with us. We go out to dinner. I have a barbecue for all the students and their families every year. And there's a lot of connection. We have a newsletter. I think connection is really important. The check is great. Don't get me wrong. But it's the connection and the values and building the community that really counts and is meaningful to us. So I have all these wonderful young people in my life. And they know Dylan's story, you know, telling his story Mm -hmm. as his mom. I I could do it every day. (laughs) Yes. And it's so it's it's enriching for us. But then we get to help all these young people, not only at Pali High and in the Congo, but the fourth arm is I've been a CASA for those of you who don't know what it is. Court appointed special advocate. That's awesome. 23 years. I'm on the board now at CASA. And CASA is an organization that works with helping youth in um, the foster care system. And um, those were our four arms. We've branched out a little bit, but basically the environment and Surfrider. We started with Jewish World Watch, and now we're on our own with this Congo Peace School, the scholarships, and CASA. So it was his passions, but it gave us an early direction on how we're going to create this thing and what our missions are going to be. Right. And Steve, can you tell us a little bit more about the scholarships? Well, the scholarships was was just one of the first things we thought simply because of Dylan's love for uh, Pally High. He just really connected with it. He loved it. And so we thought, well, let's try to give some scholarships each year. And so now we give four scholarships every year. And sometimes we've given more simply because you have a hard time saying no to some of these kids, to some of the essays, to some of the applications you see. You just So uh, with that, as Harriet was just describing, we started out feeling like, well, we can help some kids. And we think we've done that. But what we found out really was is that it's a building thing. And what happens is, is these kids go out and do something to help somebody else. These 
kids learn how to do what Dylan did, which was, you know, be important in other people's lives and pay it forward. Every one of the kids, when when we talk to them, it's fun to watch them because uh, they evolve. They've uh, so many of them now have finished college. And so what happens is you kind of get to the point where you don't feel like you're helping them as much as they are helping everyone else. Uh, and that that that's a big deal. It's important. Yeah. That's part of the essay that they have to write is their vision. How are they going to pay it forward and what are they going to do in the world? Herb, what did you say? Uh, That was 11 years ago. (laughs) That was a long time. But I I knew that um, I I was always a helping person. Like, you know, when when Dylan sees somebody eating lunch by themselves, like I was always bringing people in. And I think the way that I brought people in was comedy. I was voted class clown in high school. Yeah, I was, I was, I was, I was a, I was a class clown. Um, but like I was, I would do funny stuff. Like I would write for the school's newspaper and I wrote for the sports section and then I played basketball. So I would write about Irving and Towdy having 20 points last night. And I thought that was funny just to write about myself and see who would notice. And I, I got caught after like the fifth article. Like, you can't do that. I don't think that's funny. Or so. Oh, um, <laughs> oh okay. So I was going to ask, so were you a class clown out of insecurity or was it just to I think it was it, a little bit of was insecurity but I was just a funny guy like I just like to crack jokes I you know and I, I like making people laugh I like making people smile like that really that that gets to me because everybody has a story everybody's mm-hmm. going through something I don't care who you are you can be as happy as you are but everybody is yes is, is enduring something and I knew that I was enduring a lot you know, I was trying to figure myself out in high school. Right. I, I wasn't who I am now. I was, you know, playing basketball. I was a jock, you know, but I was like, you know, I can still write. I would get student of the month here, but mm-hmm. then, you know, I would like be silly here. So I was really trying to balance myself. So how did, how did you as a student look for what the essay called for of that vision? Where did you reach within yourself to find a vision of who you are now today. Right. So I think like the vision that I had and my high school teacher, Dennis Danzinger, he helped me out a lot with this. There's an essay my junior year that I wrote called uh, Dwelling of a Madman. And I wrote that right after I'd lost a playoff game at Pally High um, playing basketball. I was really emotional and I was writing the essay crying. And I like I drew from like that, like that, that pain. And I think in writing this essay, I had to write about the pain of life, like really, like, you know, my mother, single parent of six boys, wow. you know, who started off in Romania, you know, started off in, in a village in Africa, went to Romania for medical school, had four boys in medical school wow. and then came out to the States and then had two more boys. You know, she was really trying hard for a girl. She was really trying. Wow. <laughs> but like just things like that and just watching my mom just really work hard. And, you know, she would always say. Life isn't easy. You got to work hard. I work hard for my money. She's a very proud woman. And, you know, all of her children, children fell in line with her. So, you know, I was like, you know, I, the least that I can do is make my mother proud. And the foundation was perfect. And they were right on time because I had no idea where I was going. Yeah, I had no idea. And it, it brought a lot of alignment. And even then, you know, going to grad school at USC, I met Janice Kamir Resnick, uh, who's uh, who is the president and co-founder of Jewish World Watch. I met them through the foundation, through you know uh, a fundraiser that we were having, you guys were having, and she's an SC alum. And I was like, I want to go to USC. She's like, I will connect you with all the deans from the department, wow, from the School of Annenberg. So 
those types of situations with the foundation and, you know, another student, a recipient had the Dylan Henry Foundation on their application one day on their resume and they got the job because they were connected mm-hmm. through Harry. So like these little things where you can connect mm-hmm. with people like it's it's kind of like USC, how they have their network. The Dylan Henry Foundation has this network, except we are worldwide. Yeah. You know, so. I mean, do you guys feel like. You have a whole bunch of other children all around the world through this foundation. I I really do. Yeah. It's amazing. So the Congo Peace School is a big piece of this now. We put a lot of energy into it. Um, We partnered with this man, Imani Mataboro, on smaller projects with Jewish World Watch um, in the Congo. Projects like a home for pregnant teens, teens who were pregnant through rape, and certain um, other programs that were building the community. And Amani had this dream to build a school. Um, I'd never been to Africa. And I don't know, one day we just said, let's do it. And we built this school that will eventually educate 480 children in a place where there was no school at all. And um, we went with my daughter, and my son's best friend, um, to Africa last, uh, a year ago, September. I, I can't even tell you. I'm, Amani had been having a soccer tournament in memory of my son for three years already. So we got to be there for the soccer tournament and also to break ground on the school. I, I can't even describe what it was like. So we, we traveled all this way. We finally get there in this village And the entire village is out to greet us. And everybody has Dylan Henry hats on (laughs) and Dylan Henry T-shirts and banners. And it was, like, so overwhelming. And they knew we were the mama and the papa (laughs) and the sister. They knew the story. They'd been hearing it for three years. And it was was joyful and horrible at the same time because I miss Dylan so much. But somehow I feel like a part of him resides there now. Oh, yeah. They know his story. They know us. And we're going back again to see the next. uh, We opened with 160 children last September and another 160 are coming in this September. So we're going to go there again and see the tournament again. We now have our own soccer field (laughs) at the campus. And we're going to go again and see the soccer tournament and, and meet these, what is 160 and 320 children that are now there. And then the third year will open and be full at 480. Oh. But, oh, my God, it, it is the biggest thing we've ever done by far and very, very powerful because these children, well, I, I read about the Congo. Um, it, it's a place that's marred by violence and rape and really some horrors they're struggling now with their democracy and you know trying to get a new elite leader elected democratically it's not going so well but mm-hmm. hopefully it'll have a happy ending and um these children have nothing and our school is tuition free wow. they get two meals a day they get educated in nonviolence, peace gender equalities concepts that are unheard of in lots of areas in the congo and probably one of the best things I've ever done. Steve, what what did you feel when you saw that, when you went there and you saw all Well, that, that experience was like nothing else simply because uh, Amani 
uh, of Mataboro, uh, he was the one who brought the whole village together. And it was the weekend that uh, it was breaking ground for the school. Uh, plus, it was um, uh, the weekend soccer tournament. Uh, so we got to do both, but he put on an incredible show. I mean, we were literally treated like kings. It was like a parade, and every uh, – I don't know how many kids were out there, but, uh, you know, they were singing and, you know, African songs, and it was just so real that you, you felt like, wow, uh, you know, how uh, it's, it's uh, how you could impact that many yeah, kids right? like that, uh, to watch that. So um, – uh, we had the soccer tournament. We broke ground. They had he had invited, uh, you know, the governor, uh, the king, and the king actually couldn't. So, so they have actually elected governors, yeah. but they also have the tribal kings, which is so. You know, there's a lot of that type of, uh, uh, you know, historical things that that, mm-hmm. that that the community still observes. So, so he got these very important people. Uh, uh, to come out and and it was so it was a big celebration for the community and as you watched it you realized that you know although you felt great and they were putting it on for you it was bringing the whole community together mm-hmm. right they, they were really doing it for themselves uh, they were all it was a building block. Uh, uh, for all of them and they could all see that so anyway and now we have uh, kids that uh uh, have something that they can really connect with. Mm-hmm. They have the, it, it. It it it's become the local community center as well as just a school. In fact, uh, Harriet can describe a little bit more about uh, some of the applications. In other words, we're able to expand that and use that for other the school facility, uh, uh, and and they were able to acquire the soccer field property right. next door enough. Enough real estate for a uh, soccer field. So, uh, we're looking for a basketball court. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's on the drawing. Yeah. <laughs> we haven't funded it yet. And also, I, I, if, if, if people who, uh, you know, are listening want to see some of this, there's a lot of website stuff. There's stuff on the website where there's videos and you can see some of these kids. Uh, you can kind of see how it started and, and evolved. So, um, Dylan's list.org, D I L L O N S L I S T.org. Right. Or the Dylan Henry Foundation will get you there too. Oh, okay. But Dylan's list.org is, is, is correct. So it's just fun to see these kids uh, experiencing this. They're so happy to be in school. I remember I felt like, well, maybe school, you know, school seemed like a lot of work. Uh, as you're growing right. up, because because all you want to do is go out and play baseball, right? And uh, these kids, they don't think of it that way. Yeah. To them, uh, well, especially because they're getting fed too. Uh, uh, you know, that's right. so important uh, to watch these little kids learn to hug themselves. You know, so many of these kids have been through so much trauma, and we have a social worker there full time, and all the teachers are trained in. Uh, trauma and how to deal with it. And even with the building of the school, Amani made sure that the women were working alongside the men, building, you know, brick by brick. And conceptually, it's what we have to do to start changing the Congo, is taking these young minds and showing them what nonviolence is like, what tolerance is like in working together. And 
Amani is really one unique person. He's brought some amazing things to his community there. And um, actually, he comes back every year. We're going to see him soon in the States and hopefully be able to, you know, get more people to meet him and talk to him about the school and, and all the wonderful things he does. Irv, what was your experience going to Congo? When I, uh, I'll be right. Uh, yeah, I think, yeah, and I wrote about that, too. There was a, a bumpy ride, I think it was to the Momoshi Village. No. So, was, was no, it? it was to the Chambucha Raping oh Crisis gosh, yes. Center. Oh, yeah, the Chambucha Crisis Center. Yeah, that ride was, um, so, you know, riding over there, it's like a three-hour ride wow. one way. And... You know, it's a very bumpy ride. So bumpy, they call it a Congolese massage because the car just rattles. Wow. For, I mean, three hours long. <laughs> and Janice, who runs uh, Jewish World Watch, she, had, she told us, like, every year, you know, I vomit. Like, I have to stop because I have to get out of the car. She lets us know. She's like, so if you see me, you know, it's just a regular thing. She's used to it. And I'm like, right, it may not be that bad. I needed some cola halfway oh. through the ride. I was like, I think I, I, I'm feeling a little loopy myself. So, um, but when I had gone... I had a moment of like duality because I was born in the States. My family's Mm -hmm. from the Congo, but I saw how big education was because my parents had gone to school. They left Congo to get education. And, you know, the big, their big thing was, you know, if you make it to Europe, you know, if you're from Africa, you go to Europe, that's big. Like it's a big thing in your family. It's a big thing in the village. And if you go to America, it's an even bigger deal. So I'm thinking about the, you know, our culture. And and then on the other side, it's like, had my parents not left the Congo, I'd be right here too. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Like how many other things would I be enduring? And like, I'm thinking about all the stories my mom tells me. I'm like, no, that's not, nah, you're lying. You're just saying that. So like what? Harder. Like, I don't believe that. It's not that crazy. And she's telling us she ate palm oil and rice every day. Like that's all, you know, her and her 10 brothers and sisters, that's all they ate every day. I'm like, it couldn't have been that bad. And then you get there. And I think I started to appreciate life a little bit more. I, was, I felt ashamed because there were some things that I was complaining about before I had gone to the Congo. Um, I'm like, man, my life is just not going where I wanted to go. Like I'm working in the industry. And I think that I had to appreciate where I was because and I had to realize I was very fortunate, you know, interacting with some of the, the different kids out there. Um, all they care about is education. And, you know, some of these kids, they work an entire week just to go to school the next week. And then they take another week off to work. So, like, you can imagine how delayed that education is. Um, So, with I I think education is the foundation, Mm -hmm. period, of all of this. Like, education is going to help these kids learn how to create a better Congo because it's there's a lot of ignorance out there. Right, but that that's what I was talking about earlier about how we all learn from contrast. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. So, if I mean, doing this show for 13 years, I, I've met young kids that have never been to the beach, you know, that, right. that they they stay in their own community. And um, I, I remember reading a, a, a long time ago that Chicago was the most segregated uh, city in all of U.S., that people just stay in their pockets. But then here in L.A., that's the same thing. And it, it blew my mind. I think it was with the um, the children's hospital, Shriner, Shriner's Hospital. So I met the young ladies that never been to the beach and they're going that afternoon. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I was like, wow, 
wow, but you don't know what you don't know. Exactly. So if you're stuck in the Congo or, or stuck in, you know, North Hollywood or wherever you are, you don't get the experience to expand who you are. Right. What's interesting is, and or, well, either one of you can kind of comment on this, they have nothing. And yet there's a certain joy and happiness they have. <laughs> and that's what kind of stuck with me. You know, when we were watching the soccer game, Oh, gosh, I think 2,000 people came out just standing around, kids hanging in trees to watch the game, kids hanging all over us, right, on our laps. (laughs) You know, they had to push them away. Kids everywhere. You see little two-year-olds on the street, and you think, where do you belong? Where do you go? It's very different. But um, so, you know, soccer, you're waiting for a goal to be scored. And when the first goal was scored, it didn't matter which team Everybody, all 2,000 people jumped up and ran on the field really? and started screaming. <laughs> and it's like, it's just joyful. They mm-hmm. they don't, it's hard to explain, you know, that mm-hmm. perspective you're talking about is they don't know what they're missing on lots of levels. But there's just this joy of life that's contagious there. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, God, they have so little, but they're so happy somehow. Mm-hmm. So it it just it is a transforming experience for sure and I can't wait to go back. But did Dylan ever talk about the the power of sport cuz I mean what you're saying to me uh I I talk about how you know I I love doing the show because the power of sport can help people come together. Yes. Help people enjoy life, help people experience things that and, you know, societal things that they may have never thought about, you yes. know, but just like, you know, you guys coming on here and, and sharing your story. Right. Yeah, I think um, with, with the soccer tournament, you know, like we have it in the Congo, we have it out here. Also, we host it at Palisades High School and it's on Dylan's birthday. Um, and what we do is we have all of his friends come out and then like Adidas one year, they sponsored us. You know, giving us a whole bunch of, you know, uniforms. And then we had sent uniforms out there in the Congo. Um, and, they, they, you know, we had the red team. They had the red team, purple team. And, you know, and, and it's the way we do it out here. So it's kind of have both of those things happening simultaneously. It's almost like, you know, and I'm, I'm going to get into my nerd, you know, uh, <laughs> version here. But, like, that's quantum entanglement. Like, one thing that's happening here is affecting another thing that's happening here. And they're kind of both kind of, you know, counteracting. And so... When we when we create those type of dynamics where we can have something going on here mm-hmm. and something going on there all at the same time and then there's all these people, you know, kind of coming together, it's like Dylan is still operating, you know, like this yeah. I, I believe in spirits and energy still operating yes. and like and being all you know, kind of being omni like um omnipresent, like just being everywhere mm-hmm. at once. So, you know, with these type of things happening with soccer, that's a very universal sport. I played basketball and Harriet and Steve, we were kind of talking about, you know, building a basketball court there because we wanted to reach out to Congolese athletes, to Kembe Mutombo, Sergi Baca. I know you guys will hear this. So <laughs> Dylan Henry Foundation, we want to build basketball courts. We would love to collaborate with you. Um, but building those basketball courts, it's one thing to play soccer and soccer is a great sport. But with basketball and this is with other sports, too, when you make a goal in, in particular with basketball, when you make that shot, 
that's a shot of confidence. You know, it's like you go to Starbucks, you need a shot of espresso. Right? You got boost. <laughs> I don't know what you yeah, yeah. what you're talking about. <laughs> you know, uh, so like when you make that basket, like even I, I but when I first started playing basketball, I was I wasn't good. I was terrible. But like I made that basket like, wow, I want to make another one. So yeah. like in the Congo where resources are beyond, you know, depleted. If you're playing basketball and you have a bad day and I, I you don't want to know what a bad day is like in Africa, like it, it's it's it, it could be your worst nightmare. But if you can have a, a, a shot of confidence, a boost in confidence just by making a basket, you know, it can make a difference. And, you know, my vision now, it's like, all right, we have this basketball court that we can build there. You know, who knows? One day we may have some NBA superstar coming out of this mm-hmm. Congo Peace School. And now they have a story and now the foundation continues to grow through that. And now we're able to help more people and now we, we bring more awareness and now more people are will know about mm-hmm. the tragedies that are happening in the congo and this isn't you know west congo is where my family's from east congo is where we're doing a lot of the work and that's where the, like all the turbulence the most turbulence is happening so to be down there you know in the trenches which you know for lack of a better word and like really get in there and have boots on the ground right yeah it's really a testament to you know what's being done and what's what's going on and you know like you said the power of sports bringing mm-hmm. everybody together like to bring two to three thousand people in the village from a for a soccer game yeah you know something some people, like people even come together for a, few, uh, a wedding mm-hmm. like that so yeah the first year that we did the soccer tournament over at palisades high uh some of dylan's friends came and said you know we'd like to do a soccer tournament so um that that came together and we thought it was a terrific success. We had three to four hundred people out there watching, you know, just some some kids playing soccer. At Palisades High. At yeah. Palisades High. And then Amani said, well, I'm going to do one next year. And so the following year he did his. He had thirty two hundred people. <laughs> and we- <laughs> I woke up that morning. I, I looked at my, the Internet and I thought, oh, my God, I just started crying again, you know, <laughs> seeing everybody. And every year he has the hats and the T-shirts and the banners and it. It's unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. And then on top of that, like, I think the prizes for winning the, in, in the Congo, you win a, a soccer game, you get books and T-shirts. And, yeah. like, and that's where that <laughs> education comes in. Dictionaries. Yeah. Right. Like, and that's all they care about. Like, even visiting, I think it was the, um, I think, uh, when, it wasn't a Moshe Center. I think it was uh, Kombucha or where, wherever. No. When we went, mm-hmm. there's like, they're not asking for money. They're asking for books. They're asking mm-hmm. for books. Mm-hmm. Like, please, I want to learn the English better. Wow. To have that kind of dedication and that, like, mm-hmm. in, like that intellect, like, I want to learn more. That makes me want to learn. Do more like, Do you guys send books over there, or is that Amani got the dictionaries for the soccer prizes? Mm-hmm. Um, we're working on so many things, mm-hmm. um, crazy things. Um, for example, what just came up is, I guess I can talk about this. Mm-hmm. The girls. We're very much about gender equality, so we want as many girls in school as boys, which is a problem for lots of reasons. Mm -hmm. Girls aren't respected as well in the Congo. And also, just from a practical standpoint, these girls in high school get their periods, Mm -hmm. and they have nothing. So they stay home for four or five days every month and don't go to school. So now in certain areas, someone just gave me the name of an organization that actually provides kits for the girls, but they haven't done it in Congo yet. They're in Kenya and Tanzania. So we're trying to contact them and see if we could get 200 kits. I mean, every day there's a a need or a thing that Mm -hmm. we take for granted that we don't think about exactly. And 
it's just so different there. I mean, they we have regular flushing toilets in the class, you know, in the classrooms, but at the school with the classrooms, and we had to take a whole afternoon to teach the kids how to flush the toilet. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are just so many basic things that we take for granted, and um, you know, we we do have a lot of needs still, but our but our school is up and running, and it's it's just quite amazing. So to get the school and all the resources that you have. So you worked with the Jewish World Watch, right? Um, we do work with them, and, and they've been helpful. And certainly their partnership and relationship with Amani was our initial contact. Okay. Um, we still want to work with them. Um, also, I should mention Action Kivu, which is an organization that is kind of solely created for Amani Mataboro. It's sort of like his American arm. They do a lot of wonderful things with sewing workshops for the women and have a lot of valid programs. And they're, they've been helping us with the communication with Imani in Congo. And when he comes here, they organize his trip. And um, they've helped with budgeting and lots of other things, some fundraising. And we're reaching out to organizations. I'm learning every day about new organizations. I just learned about Room to Read which is, you mentioned books, which is an organization that helps you create libraries. I'm meeting Tuesday with a woman who is interested in setting up preschools. And I'm also just got a connection (laughs) to Robert Abernathy, who was Martin Luther King's right-hand man, a school that he's doing in hopes of maybe creating a sister school. So it's endless possibilities. Yeah. But... We need things now. That's the hard part. We want to open the library. We want to get the girls these kits. Mm-hmm. You know, so I'm working full time, but but donations and organizations that exist, it's very helpful if you can make those connections or obviously to, to sports people that care about mm-hmm. Africa and, and what's happening. The Congo is a little bit behind right now, right now, and it's because of their leadership. Yeah. They had a guy, uh, Kabila, who'd been in forever, and his father was in forever. And you can't have corruption in government and have the country Mm -hmm. run well. So they've been racked by violence and rape, and the people really want change. They're ready Mm -hmm. for change. Mm -hmm. And I hope that this happens. Uh, Other countries are getting involved trying to help the election that they just had either be taken over or I don't know what's going to happen. It's 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 a mess. Um, you should read up on it. Jewish World Watch has a lot of good information mm-hmm. on the Congo, the elections, and what's happening. Right. Now. I mean, even like with my family, like my I go over to my aunt's house, hanging out with her, and she's watching, you know, Congolese media, Congolese news, and yeah, I, I speak a I, I can speak the language. I understand it more than I can speak it. And our language we speak is Lingala, but you know, in different sections of you know the congo it's different like in east congo you, they speak swahili in west congo they speak lingala and when you're in east congo you have to be careful speaking lingala like i learned i didn't tell you guys the story but i had to learn that i couldn't speak lingala there they spoke swahili because lingala was the language that the uh the militia had spoken oh so you know if i'm speaking lingala around the kids they're like whoa who is this guy like yeah. you know like is he coming you know so i had to that's something i had to learn and that's me being culturally ignorant but right. it's something i learned when i was there but you know i'm talking to family members like yeah kabila he's not even congolese 
Mm. at all. Oh, really? He doesn't, he doesn't, I didn't even know that. He's not Congolese, and nor do, and that is like, okay, that's one thing. But then he doesn't speak the language. He doesn't speak French. He doesn't speak Lingala. So really? he, I think he only speaks like Kenyan Rwandan. So he has translators. And can you imagine having a president <laughs> where you, he had a translator? You couldn't understand what he was saying. I mean, I'm, I'm sure we all have an idea, but, right. you know. Uh, <laughs> well, I hate to say it, but I think we have that now. Yeah. I, I, well, I know. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, so like that's like the intel that I get. <laughs> go and see. That's the intel that I get from my family because they're like, I'm telling them, like, I want to go to the Congo now. They're like, I think you should wait. Mm-hmm. Because they're going to riot because this is going to mm-hmm. happen. Well, and then it happened because they already knew because we have obviously oh, have right. boots on the ground over there. And that's West Congo. So I can't imagine what's happening in East Congo where all of our work, where we're doing most of our work right now. So, you know, there's it, it's it, there's a lot of turbulence in the government. Are there. you guys so you're on a, a daily contact? You have daily contact with. I wouldn't say daily. I'm Skyping tomorrow with Rebecca from Action Kivu and Amani. Um, We have probably weekly contact, you know, updates and what's happening. And, um, yeah, communication is really important and hard sometimes. For example, during the elections, they shut down all the Internet. Mm. And so nothing could happen. Communication was completely shut down. That's what they do. They cut the people off. I heard that in certain parts of the Congo where Ebola was an issue right now, they um, didn't let them vote. It's just there's just so many things. You don't have Mm -hmm. control. It was like when we went over a few years ago and we did this big 22-hour flight and we land there and we go to the airport to take this little 25-minute flight from Kigali to Kamembe. And we're at the thing and I'm so excited to go. And the woman's looking at me, and she says, I'm sorry, your flight left an hour <gasps> early today. What? And the flight doesn't go, but like once every two days or something, and I'm like in shock. But that's what happens there, you know. <laughs> Can you imagine what would happen in the States if that happened? And like, <laughs> what are you talking about? But, you know, we found another way, and we we got there, but... um the shock of how things can change and the yeah, little control that you have. Yes. So it's a beautiful yeah. thing. Our school's been safe Good. by getting the government, the king, invested in it. We have a certain level of protection, and everything's been fine in our area. We're uh, we're in a city. Uh, it's not a city. A town called Mamosho, and it's about. 21 kilometers from the big city called Bukavu, which is a city of 2 million people. And the road to our village is only 21 kilometers, but it's an hour and a half on a road that isn't a road. So, you know, this is what the country has to do, not to get too political, but roads are pretty basic, right? Mm -hmm. And so they need a government that sees what the needs of the people are and starts addressing it and finding some way towards peace. Congo is one of the richest nations in resources, minerals, of all the African countries. Mm -hmm. But year after year, they've been taken advantage of not only Mm -hmm. by their own government, but by other countries. So, Steve, how do you guys decide what to take on? Because this seems like so much. I mean, you, you have your certain points that you... You know, I don't know. Dylan had his issues and what he wanted to put out in society. 
How do you choose? Well, yeah, it kind of just evolved. Uh, we, we thought, uh, you know, we, we mentioned the, the scholarships, which immediately came to mind. Then we, uh, uh, Surfrider Foundation was kind of a natural, and mm-hmm. um, we talked to them, and, and they told us about their intern program, and that might be a, a good thing. Each year, the Surfrider Foundation uh, hires, uh, is it two interns or four now? It's uh, two interns. So, we so, increased it to three, yeah. Right, so we have interns that are that go in and work for the summer, and uh, this way they can get paid. They're uh, 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 fully paid interns, uh, usually while they're in grad school. These are usually uh, 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 law school students, uh, but then from there it it kind of expands. And as Harriet described, we met Amani, and he had this vision, and he started talking about this school, and we thought, well, you know, that's good, but that's a big deal because we're just kind of a little family foundation. But you know, when he started showing us plans, he started showing us what we could do. And, mm-hmm. and you know, being having a little background in real estate, I, I knew that if you had the real estate, you might be able to work with that mm-hmm. because that's half the battle. And, uh, and so we looked at the numbers and um, uh, he said, well, we can, you know, have a school for, for 480 kids. Uh, it's going to cost about 400 and some thousand. We thought, well, wow, you can build a whole school for less than a, for $1,000 a kid. Wow. That, uh, you know, in other words, if you could do something that good, that mm-hmm. big for $1,000 for a kid, people would be doing it all the time. And we thought, well, gosh, uh, we can do it for all 500 kids, which is, of course, a much bigger project. But so it evolved is the answer to your question, Laferme. But uh, 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 after Amani started describing it, the after we got there and after we've seen what's happened over the last year or so, it really is about the kids connecting. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's not about us giving them anything. Uh, it, 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 it's really become an organic thing where they learn uh, the whole, you know, peace concept, mm-hmm. uh, respecting and uh, appreciating themselves. But now they have a community. They have that's the fun part is being able to look at that and say, well, you know, we were we were helpful in letting them connect. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's almost like you don't need us anymore. You now, they, they all, they all get it. And uh, as Harry described, to, to, to see a couple thousand kids uh, all just running around these soccer fields, uh, you know, and you get to provide a school that's mm-hmm. got uh, 480 kids, uh, and what they can do with it, uh, yes, uh, because it's if they've got a place where they can go get a little get a little oatmeal and fruit in the morning, that's more than they've had all their life. And they, they're going to get that every day. And they get a lunch. And so uh, it, it, they, they connect themselves. Yes. They do it. It's almost like you don't. You just give them, you give them a little resources. Uh, Amani brought in some great teachers, some great administrators. And it falls into place just like it would in, you know, any right. place uh, in the world. Yeah, you just do it. Right? Yeah. Let's yeah. do it. Um, well, this has been so wonderful to have you guys on here talking about the Dylan Henry Foundation. When is the next soccer game at uh, <laughs> Pacific Palisades? 
Oh, uh, well, September. Okay. Uh, September 24th is Dylan's birthday. He would have been 30 this coming mm. September. It's hard to believe because mm. he left when he was 17. But mm. um, So we'll have that in the Palisades. Um, and then also we'll have the soccer tournament in the Congo. And hopefully Steve and myself and my daughter will be there as well. And how can people get involved uh, with the applications for scholarships if anyone needs anyone would like to apply for the scholarship? Happen? Everything's online. Okay. Everything's online, and we, we welcome anybody to come on and look on the website. The website, um, in its original form, won, won a Webby because oh, it's yeah. very personal. It's not just about the foundation. We have mm-hmm. Dylan's writings on there and pictures of him as a baby, and it's very personal as well as it lists all our projects. I want to say also that we um, got involved with a uh, Rwandan street orphan project, mm-hmm and that we're supporting a bunch of students there. So when Irv says it's mostly about education, it really is mostly about education. That is the key to these kids' futures. And um, it's very exciting to be able to do this and give this gift to this village. Red Harriet mentioned that uh, we won a Webby, and we we were very fortunate in that uh, one of my nephew's friends, Alex Kaplinski, helped us Get us a, get a website started right away, and he is one of the premier website developers. So we we're, were yeah. very fortunate that he helped us with that. Just totally uh, uh, out of the goodness of his heart, he yeah. said, "Whatever you guys need, I'm going to do it." And uh, and we built on that. Uh, and so I want to give Alex a little plug there because he was just so. Uh, when you find somebody like that that helps you, mm-hmm. absolutely, it's a big deal. And uh, Irv, what do you see for the future of um, the Dylan the, Foundation? What I what I foresee for the future, I mean, I didn't even see this coming. Like mm-hmm. as far as building the the Congo Peace School, I didn't see myself going to the Congo. I didn't see myself even being on the board. I just thought, you know, I'm just happy enough to be a scholarship recipient. This is really kicking in. But what I see for the future is. Now we're, ha- we're starting to have these Congolese students that we're starting to facilitate out there in the Congo Peace School. They come over to the States and they start to see they, they see that there's a, a life, you know, outside of the Congo and they start to expand mm-hmm. and then they can contribute more to the foundation. And then now they can go back home and reach back and pull the younger generations. And, you know, we kind of cultivate that network and that and create a different cycle, you know, because we're, we're breaking a lot of family curses by educating them because education is so key that there's a reason why you know like congo is the rape capital of the world like you know like it's all due to ignorance and you know i won't dive into yeah yeah. you know too much because it can get really crazy and dark but i think that you know our future is education education love you know compassion passing it forward you know you know when one person hands you you know a blessing make sure that you have enough of that blessing to pass on to the next person. Yeah. And it's just a chain reaction. It's a domino effect of blessing. So, And what about you, Harriet? The future. Hmm. You know, um, right now we're knee-deep in the Congo Peace School, and we've got a lot of work to do filling in all the cracks. But we're open and running, and it's exciting. Um, we have uh, a contest we're starting uh, at Surfrider that's going to be reaching out to all the Surfrider clubs to try to get some creative juices going in youth in uh, high schools and colleges. And uh, 
I'm very involved in CASA personally. As I said, I'm on the board. And I just see doing more of the same because, <laughs> you know, we've now reached thousands of young people locally and all over the world. And I just want to keep doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. And I, I want to get more collaborative spirit going with like-minded organizations and like-minded people and people who can give. Because, I don't know, L.A. is a big town, but still it's tough, you know. Mm-hmm. You you kind of have to have your connections and know people. And we've been fortunate in certain regards. And I just, I just hope to make more connection in the L.A. community and... Uh, you know, get some help because yeah. we are a small foundation, and this was a big reach for us. Mm-hmm. This was way beyond what I ever envisioned. Yeah. Yeah. and um, I'm happy I did it. Yeah, and I'm happy Dylan lives part time in the Congo. Yes, <laughs> but um, just keep keep searching for things for his legacy. I want to mention one thing in Chad, for example, through Jewish World Watch, we built a Dylan Henry community health center and you never know how these things are going to go and that's a risky thing when you're going so far away and doing a project like that (laughs) dylan um we funded it and it opened and then all the trouble broke out and you really couldn't even visit it anymore Mm. go there and i wondered what happened we put all this money into it and out of the blue i got an article and this woman wrote it um without knowing dylan but she'd been to the clinic and it now serves something like over 143,000 people because it was the only clinic within like 210 miles or something for these people. Wow. And she said, had Dylan not lived, all these people might not be served in this way. Mm. <laughs> and it just really touched me. And so that's kind of where I'm going with yes. the rest of it, you know, mm-hmm. because he lived, all these things are happening. Yeah. Steve? Well, uh, as we've been saying, it we don't know where uh, exactly the next project or uh, uh, where we'll be going, um, and it's kind of evolved. And, and when we meet somebody like an Amani in the Congo, and it takes us in that direction. Yeah. So we try to do that. But I would just uh, suggest that uh, anybody – we would welcome anybody who has thoughts, concepts, ideas, somebody that might want to look on the website, uh, and they have an idea of their own, uh, contact us. Uh, they might want to work with us in the development of something, uh, whether it be an education or uh, some related area. Uh, so uh, we'll, we'll go where it takes us. Uh, yes. And uh, for more information, you can log on to Dylan Henry Foundation. Dylan Henry Foundation or Dylan'sList.org. All right. Miss Harriet Zareski, mm-hmm. President, of Steve Henry, Vice President, and Irv Kintaudi, Board of Director. Thank you guys for sharing the story and sharing Dylan with us. Thank, Thank you, you very Thank much. You. We'll I'm Lafern Cusack. This is ESPN LA.